0: Welcome to Session 5, How Boundaries Are Developed. This is Susan Swart, and our study is based on the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. So how are boundaries developed? Boundaries are not inherited. We don't automatically inherit boundaries. They are built, and they're built in moments and stages all throughout our lives. As we talk through this, we're going to be talking about some stages of boundary development. And then within some of those stages, we will do some subcategories. So the first stage of boundary development is called bonding, just bonding. That is the foundation of boundary, uh, boundary building. If you really look at it, our deepest need is to belong and to be in relationship and to have a spiritual and emotional home. You can go back to how God created us. We were created in his image. Um, he, w- he is connected. God the Father is connected to God the Son, connected to God's Holy Spirit. And we we're created in his image. And so he, he used that same template when he was creating us that we were supposed to be, uh, we, we were created to be in relationship. That is a very, very basic need of ours. It's the very nature of God. To be in relationship and we see throughout the creation story at the end of each day it was good it was good it was good and we finally though see where when Adam is naming all of the animals and no one is found that looks like him uh, and God said that's not good so man was alone God didn't want man to be alone and so he created Eve we all remember that story So sometimes we interpret that and we go, well, it's all about marriage. And if I were just married, then I would feel okay. And so that is not, it's not about marriage. Um, That yes, they were married, but some of the loneliest people in the world that I am aware of are married. So it's not a marriage issue. It is a relationship issue. So page 66 of Boundaries says we are built for a relationship. Attachment is the foundation of the soul's existence. When this foundation is cracked or faulty, boundaries become impossible to develop. Why? Because when we lack relationship, we have nowhere to go in a conflict. So when we are not secure that we are loved, we are forced to choose between two bad options. So let me repeat that. When we are not secure that we're loved, we're forced to choose between two bad options. And those options are, number one, we set limits. So we our option is, okay, I'm going to set limits, but that's going to risk losing the relationship if I set limits. So that's option number one. Option number two is we don't set any limits, and we remain a prisoner to the wishes of another. So that is where I, I when I get to this point, I tell people... Boundaries are hard because when we start to set healthy boundaries, we we do risk that. Uh, if we're going to set healthy boundaries, these are our two options. We can set limits and risk losing a relationship, or we don't set limits and then we remain a prisoner and to the wishes of another. And so this is a real, it's like a fork in the road. What am I going to do? And people really struggle with this. And until... You have your identity in who God says you are. This is very, very challenging. It's challenging even when you do have your identity based in who God says you are. But it's even if your identity is, if you're wanting your identity to come from the people around you, if your identity is coming from that relationship with that other person, it makes it very challenging to set healthy healthy boundaries. I run into this all the time. So the first developmental task of an infant, okay, so think to an infant, think to a brand new baby who is born, just born, and they're screaming, they want them to scream, they want to know they can breathe well, so they're screaming, and what is the thing, if, if you've ever had this experience, if you've ever been in that environment, uh, and if you haven't, what happens is... The one thing that is usually able to quieten that baby is mom's voice. That baby is already bonded to mom's voice before the baby is even born, because the hearing develops, I believe, around month five. When the baby's about five months, when the when, when the mom is five months pregnant, that baby's hearing is starting to develop, and so that baby is able to hear mom's voice all the time. It's also able to hear other, like if there's other noises around the house uh, on a regular basis, other children, the the you know father, all of those things. That baby already knows some things. In fact, a fascinating story that I heard years ago was that a lady would, every evening, uh, she would sit after the news or whatever and watch MASH. So, she, And she would practice her Lamaze breathing. So she would sit there every evening. It was her routine. She would sit down. The MASH theme song would come on, and she would start practicing her Lamaze breathing for for childbirth. The baby was born, and when they got the baby home, baby would be fussy, but any time it heard the MASH theme song, it calmed down because it already knew. It was already bonded to the MASH theme song. So we can the babies can bond. Babies are already bonded, and that's their job when they are born. So how do they continue to bond once they're born? This is done by providing consistent, warm, loving, and predictable <clears throat> emotional environment. That is the job of the mom. That is the job of, job of the primary caregiver. Whoever that primary caregiver is, it's to provide that because babies need to have closeness, they need to be held, uh, they need to ha- be fed, and they need to have their diapers changed. It's, it's really pretty simple. it's exhausting. But it's really pretty simple at first. And as they had those needs consistently and positively met by the parents, the baby starts to internalize or take in an emotional picture of a loving, constant mom. And so this is uh, that time when the baby has no sense of self apart from mom. Up until, I think it's around a year, 18 months old, a baby has no idea, an infant has no idea that they are a separate person from mom. Just they, their emotional, their cognitive skills, their thinking ability is just not there. They, they don't realize that they are a separate human being from mom. So the emotional picture developed by an infant forms from thousands of experiences in the first few months of life. So the ultimate goal of mothers being there. for that baby, the baby knows mom's always there, that is called, there's a term for that, and it's called emotional object constancy. So it's emotional object constancy, which refers to the child having an, an internal sense of belonging and safety, so that even when they're away from mom, as they get older and they're away from mom, they still have that internal thing inside of them that knows mom loves them. And so all of these experiences are of constant loving pay off in a child's inner sense of security. So that child has that inner sense of security. Now, you can have an anxious child. Some children are just anxious, they're just wired that way, but you can still help foster that by having that by providing security around that child. So boundaries page sixty seven says object constancy is referred to in the Bible. As being rooted and established in love, see Ephesians 3.17. And ha- as having been rooted and built up in Christ, Colossians 2.7. It illustrates the principle that God's plan for us is to be loved enough by him and others to not feel isolated even when we are alone. So that is, some people have, if they don't have that, as if they haven't learned that as a child, as a as a small child, then even adults have real problems being separated from the person that they love. They, they get away from them and they just don't have that object constancy that that person truly loves them. So they may feel kind of suffocating to that other person because they're wanting to constantly have that love, to know that they're loved, they want that reinforced all the time because they don't have that object constancy. So sometimes you see that in, in adults. So bonding is the prelude, as children learn to feel safe with their primary relationships, they are building good foundations to withstand separateness and conflict that comes with boundary development. Okay, so we've got the bonding stage. That is stage number one. First thing that happens is that. Then we go into stage number two because we the child gets older, we, and we're not, I'm not talking about, you know, this can be us, this can be our kids, it can be anybody because this is just human development. Stage two is called separation and individuation, and it can be referred to as the construction of a soul. So it's separation. You've bonded in stage one, and then the child gets older, and they're able to separate and become an individual. So on page 68, it says, it's like a switch was thrown, said Millie to the friends that she had met, who made up her uh, church mom's group. On her first birthday, to the very day, my Hillary became the most difficult child I'd ever seen. This is the same baby who the day before had eaten her spinach like it was her last meal, and then the next day, though, it all ended up on the floor. Millie's exasperation was met with approving nods and smiles. The mothers all agreed. Their babies had seemed to switch personalities around the same time. Gone were the agreeable, lovable infants, and in their places were cranky, demanding toddlers. So what happens? Well, we see this a lot. Um, somewhere in that range of one to three, a disruptive, chaotic, normal, and God-planned shift takes place in, us from that, in a child from the age of one to three. They start to become autonomous. They start to become independent. It's, it's this separation and individuation. They're separating from mom and they're becoming their own individual. Page 68 says separation refers to the child's need to perceive him or herself as distinct from mom. A not me experience. Individuation describes the identity the child develops while separating from the mother. It's a me experience, I'm becoming my own person. As the child works through the not me, the me starts to develop. They first have to work through identifying who they are not, and then they start to see who they are. So when we look at the life of Jesus, we actually see this. I mean, he's 12. The only time from birth until his ministry starts at the age of 33. The only story we have of him is at at the age of 12. And so on page 63 and 64 of Boundaries, it says, On a trip home from Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph could not find Jesus. When they found him teaching in the temple, his mother got on to him. Jesus' words to his mother were, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? See Luke two forty-nine. So translation of that, I have values, thoughts, and opinions that are different from yours, mother. Jesus knew who he was not as well as who he was. Okay, so we've got this separation and individuation process going on. So that we're gonna break down into some phases. So just this one stage, we're gonna break down into phases. So the first phase, this is an interesting title, but this is what it's called, it's called hatching. And it's basically saying mommy and me are not the same, hatching. Think about a chick hatching out of an egg, okay. So the child is basically leaving the cocoon. The the infant has been very secure and protected and then the child starts to grow out of that cocoon. The child goes from a passive union with the mother to an active interest in the outside world. It's called hatching or differentiation because it's a time of exploration, of touching, tasting, and feeling new things. I mean, just think of a (laughs) two-year-old. Think of any 2 year old you've ever been around. The child is still dependent on the mother. They will only go so far before they're going to turn around and make sure mom is still there. But they aren't wrapped up in the closeness with her. The months of nurturing have paid off. The child feels safe enough to start taking risks, and they want to discover. So on page 63 and 64, it says this period can be a letdown for some moms. So moms, pay attention to that. This can be a letdown. It's especially hard for women who have never really maybe hatched themselves. And I know that sounds like an uh, odd thing to say. But they long for nothing but closeness, neediness, and dependency from their baby. These women often conceive lots of children or find ways to spend time with very young infants. They often don't enjoy the separating part of mothering. They don't like the distance between themselves and baby. It's a painful boundary for mother, but a necessary one for the child. So, we have uh, when under this stage of separation and individuation, we have the phase one of hatching. Then, phase two is practicing. So, the child has moved in, or we, as when we were very young, we moved into this practicing stage, which is basically I can do anything. So, on page 70 and 71 of Boundaries, it says, But what's wrong with wanting to have fun? Life wasn't meant to be boring, protested Derek. In his 40s, Derek dressed like a college student. His face had that tan, unlined look that appears unnatural on a middle-aged man. Something was out of place. Derek was talking to his pastor about switching his membership from the 35 and older singles group to the 20s and 30s group. They're just not my speed. I like roller coasters, late nights out, and switching jobs. Keeps me young, you know. Derek's style describes someone still stuck on the second stage of separation and individuation practicing during this period. Now, keep in mind, he's in his forties. So this can happen. Even, something that should have happened or, or is a normal thing to happen in the early childhood can still be trying. Somebody might still be dealing with that as an adult. So during this period, which usually lasts from age 10 months to 18 months and then returns later, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, babies learn to walk and begin to use words. The difference between hatching and practicing is radical. While the hatching baby is overwhelmed by this new world and still leans a great deal on mom, the practicing child is trying to leave mom behind. Toddlers in this phase want to try everything, including walking down steep stairs, putting forks into electrical sockets, and chasing cats' tails. Proverbs 7.7 7 describes the youth who is stuck in this stage. It says, I saw some naive young men and one in particular who lacked common sense. So practicers feel like they will never be caught, but life does catch up with them. So the practicing phase provides the child with the energy and drive to make the final step toward becoming an individual, but energetic exhilaration cannot last forever. The practicing child must give way to the third phase. So this is all under individual separation and individuation. Remember, our first one was hatching and then practicing. And the third phase is rapprochement. It's a French word, and it means I can't do everything. So this occurs around 18 months to three years. comes from the French word meaning a restoration of harmonious relations. In other words, the child comes back to reality. They realize that the world can be a scary place, and they still need mom. So the child reconnects to mom, but it's a different kind of connection this time. The child brings a more separate self into the relationship, and the child and the mother have different thoughts and feelings. This can be a difficult period for both the child and the parent, and the toddler can be obnoxious, oppositional, temperamental, and downright angry. So tools, so when the child is going through this tools that the toddlers use to build boundaries during this rapprochement stage include anger. It's number one, anger. So on page 72 of boundaries, it says anger is a friend. It was created by God for a purpose to tell us that there's a problem that needs to be confronted. Anger is a way for children to know that their experience is different from someone else's. The ability to use anger to distinguish between self and others is a boundary. Children who can appropriately express anger are children who will understand later in life when someone is trying to control or hurt them. So that's one. Anger can be one. And number two is ownership. And here's from Boundaries, page 73. Sometimes misunderstood as simply a uh, selfish stage Reproachman introduces words to the youngster's vocabulary such as mine, my, and me. Susie doesn't want anyone else to hold her doll. Billy doesn't want to share his trucks with a visiting toddler. This important part of becoming a self is often quite difficult for Christian parents to understand. Okay, so keep in mind, sometimes I have said, sometimes Christians have the worst boundaries out there, and this is a great example of how that can start to be established. So the parents, a Christian parent going through this stage with their child, may say something like, well, that old sinful nature, it's rearing its ugly head in my child. The parents will remark sagely. We're trying to help her share and love others, but she's caught up in that selfishness that we all have. Okay, this is neither accurate nor biblical. The child's newfound fondness for mine does have roots in an innate self-centeredness, part of the sinful depravity in all of us that wants to, as Satan did, make myself like the most high, see Isaiah 14, 14. However, this simplistic understanding of our character does not take into consideration the full picture of what being in the image of God truly is. Being created in God's image also means having ownership and stewardship, As Adam and Eve were given dominion over the earth to subdue and rule it, we are also given stewardship over our time, energy, talents, values, feelings, behavior, money, etc. Without a quote-unquote mine, we have no sense of responsibility to develop, nurture, and protect these resources. So without a mine, we have no self to give to God and his kingdom. Children desperately need to know that mine, my and me are not swear words. With correct biblical parenting, they will learn to sacrifice and develop a giving, loving heart, but not, a, not until they have a personality that has been loved enough to give love away. First John four four nineteen says we love because he first loved us. This is where I usually say okay. Parents may get stuck right here. They may feel like, oh, my goodness, I've been parenting my child wrong. Please, please, please have grace toward yourself. We all do the best job we can possibly do in parenting. Our parents did the best job they need to do. So we have to have grace toward our parents. We have to have grace toward ourselves as parents. And we we need to just see that what we're talking about here is if I'm having some boundary issues, this is a situation that might have happened in my life to where in the in – the, accurate, I mean, we are supposed to love others as Christians, we're supposed to do that, but we can like he points out, like they point out in the Boundaries book, sometimes that's overlooking the bigger picture. If we've always been told, I have to share everything, then we may not be able to protect our own resources that God has given us. That And so we may just think, well, I have to do this, but God might not have called us to do some of those things. In our own lives, so this gets into a real tricky. Can be a little bit confusing. Number three, under what the things that toddlers use uh, during these this boundary reproachment time, time. Number one was anger, and number two was ownership. Number three is no. The word no. The one word boundary. No is a one word boundary. This is the first verbal boundary children learn. No helps children separate from what they don't like. It gives them the power to make choices, and it protects them. They they can be no addicts, which we all know if you've ever raised a child, they can be no addicts and refuse not only things they don't like, but things that they do like, just to be able to have the right to say no. It keeps them from feeling completely helpless and powerless. Parents have two tasks associated with no. First, they need to help their child feel safe enough to say no, which encourages a healthy boundary. The child should not have the ability to make all of their own choices, but they should have a no that is listened to so that they can start to learn the difference between a no, you cannot run out in the street, to know that that it's okay for them to be able to say no. There needs to be a no that we hear as parents that so that they learn that a no can be a valid thing. The child needs to know that they are still loved even when they say no. And that's a big key right there. That even if they say no, they're still going to be loved. They need to know that their no is as lovable as their yes. The parent that the parent won't withdraw when emotionally, withdraw either emotionally or physically when the child says no, but will stay emotionally connected and that takes work. Second, the parents, uh, parents need to help the child respect other people's boundaries by not only giving a no, but being able to take a no. This means not giving in to temper tantrums. So it means some time out, appropriate confrontations, and sometimes when necessary, a spanking. I know that can be a controversial subject, but Proverbs 19:18 uh, says, Discipline your child while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. So, commentary from Boundaries, page 75, says, Boundary construction is most evident in three-year-olds. By this time, they should have mastered the following tasks. Number one, the ability to be emotionally attached to others, yet without giving up a sense of self and one's freedom to be apart." Number two is the ability to say appropriate no's to others without the fear of loss of love. And number three is the ability to take a no from others without withdrawing emotionally so that they don't go, well, if you're going to say no, I'm just going to disconnect from you emotionally. I'm going to go pout. There are two additional times uh, in life where this kind of replays itself. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number one is adolescence. Okay, so we what we've been talking about is when the child is newborn and kind of up through that age three, four stage. So that's what we've been talking about. But what we see is, think about adolescence, when you were an adolescent or if you have adolescence, have been through that, um, in that adolescent period, The adolescent years are a reenactment of the first years of life. They involve more mature issues, such as sexuality, gender identity, competition, and adult identity. But the same issues of knowing when to say yes and no and to whom are central during this confusing time. So we see that revisited. And then we also see these play out, these stages play out again in young adulthood. This is when children leave home or college and start a career or get married. Lots going on in that phase. There is also a loss of structure during this period. There are no class bells, no schedules imposed by others, and a great deal of very scary freedom and responsibility, as well as the demands of intimacy and commitment. This can often become an intense time of learning about setting good boundaries. So... It can be helpful to see how things should have been, but what if they weren't that way? Thank you so much for joining me for this session. In session six, we're going to be talking about boundary injuries, what goes wrong.